Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves and I am joined as per usual by one of my very good friends, that being Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how the devil are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. I, w- I was going to just not turn up for this, but I didn't want to be a traitor, so I didn't. Ah. So I, here I am. <laughs> Folks, the reason Andy mentions that is because, one, he's an honourable gentleman, but also because one of our episodes today is about a treacherous Autobot. Or is it? Because we are talking about episodes five through eight of the second season of Transformers here today. So Andy, I suppose, to to begin proceedings, as it were, when it comes to discussion, overall, thoughts on this batch of episodes? Um, they're fine. (laughs) Pretty, 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 pretty much, pretty much my cliff notes. Yeah, I don't know, there's stuff that I I like about some of these, I like, in parts, this is certainly where you start to get to see some of the kind of goofier character-driven elements of this second season um you know when we get into kind of the, the latter sort of two episodes of, of this you know you, you kind of get to to see some of that but there's there's still some cool ideas here there's still some some fun stuff um there's still some stuff that you know again having not really properly watched a lot of this season two stuff you know there were things that surprised me and made me laugh so you know i was entertained is the main the main takeaway i would say yeah, it, it was, in a weird sort of way, it was it was kind of weird just to watch four very separate and quite different episodes back to back, in that sense. When you compare last time we had Dinobot Island Part 1 and 2, so there was an extended story, but this was very much four different episodes, although one of them did touch on a similar theme from an episode of Season 1 for a few moments, which was kind of like a weird deja vu moment, which I'm sure we'll get onto a little bit later. But but yeah, like you say, these were these were fine. They're, they're not bad by any means. They're not stellar. I did enjoy perhaps a couple of episodes more in particular than others. But yeah, just perfectly acceptable Transformers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's definitely there, there's some there's some decent stuff in here. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was it was a fun fun watch overall. So you know what then. Let's crack on, but before we do, everybody, we do want to make mention, as we like to do on the show every single time, that you can reach out to us via social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Starscreams Pod, and if you feel so inclined and want to drop us an email, you can do so using the email address starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. Also worth noting before we begin that all of the episodes that we are talking about today and every episode on past podcasts we have done are available to watch completely for free on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That being an official YouTube channel produced by Hasbro and all the episodes are on there and that is how we are watching them and is also dictating the order we are watching them as well as we go through the entire series front to back. So with that being said, let's get on to our first episode for today. That being episode 5, Traitor. We begin at an experimental energy research laboratory where two scientists have created electro-cells that, quote-unquote Andy, will solve all of the Earth's energy problems. 
That's a that's yeah. a bold claim right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that should be another one on the Transformers bingo card at this point. Like, how many times have we been like, look at this revolutionary new energy thing? And the the thing I don't understand is like, fine, it gets smashed up, stolen by the Decepticons or whatever, but they never go back and say, well, let's just make that again, but maybe you know, get some better security. And so it's like, oh, well, now we've got to make a completely new way to solve all the Earth's <laughs> energy problems, and they move on to the next thing. The other pretty important detail as well is that they do kind of note to themselves as these two scientists are just talking to each other that they are unstable and could explode at any moment. <laughs> I, yeah, feel again. If you, I feel this energy source needs to be a bit more refined. Yeah, again, cross that off on your Transformers bingo card if the energy source is unstable, because another recurring theme of this is like, yeah, you know, boundless energy, but also probably going to explode at some point. Uh, yeah, I believe they call it foreshadowing. There you go. And you mentioned a few moments ago that the Decepticons steal it. The way they do this is that Skywarp and Starscream literally just rip a hole open in the ceiling of this building. With a, with Skywarp having the wonderful line of, I just love opening presents. And considering that we're, we're getting very close to Christmas now, Andy, I think that was a very apt line for this episode of the podcast. It's got to be said. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, one of, it's one of those weird kind of very minor things that I really enjoy about stuff like Transformers when you get reminded of like the sheer strength of them when they just like open the roof of a building like a tin, you know, a, a can with a can opener. Like, there's something very satisfying about seeing that where it's like, okay, you're in this big old building and then somebody just like pops the lid off it basically. So I'm, I'm always a big fan of the Decepticons just like pulling off roofs. And then Starscream is just going to go and grab the cells. But for once, Andy, Megatron is aware of how, I'll say, fragile these cells are. And actually just tells Starscream, get the hell away. Your heavy handedness will just make them explode. <laughs> and ultimately, they make off with them. But the scientists know just know how much damage that they could cause. And they also... Now, okay... Uh, if you're on your bingo card, you're, you want to highlight how a human is in danger... Latching onto something that's being picked up by the Decepticons, and then you seemingly, I, I would assume in real time, Andy, in real time, real life, more to the point, you'd just fall to your death if you fell from that height when you lost grip, but these guys literally bounced. So, credit to them. <laughs> yeah, the, the wonders of cartoons where you can you can get away with doing these things. And it should also be noted that Megatron, as they're leaving, had Starscream utilise his handgun form to demolish the lab so that no more of these energy cells could be made. At Autobot HQ, Cliffjumper reports to Prime that he has located these missing electro cells, and it's in the same area that Mirage did a patrol in yesterday. Just proper calling him out in the process. Like, in, in this week's edition of Cliffjumper is Gunjumper... Which actually will return again later on in this podcast, it's got to be said, for a completely different reason. That's how we're going with... That, that is how Cliffjumper is conducting himself this time. Mirage is stunned by this. But Prime tries to calm the situation down by saying, We don't want bad feelings, just the electro cells. <laughs> and then they roll out. Prime is not messing around today. We cut to a desert-like location where the Decepticons have made a giant machine to harness the power of the Electro Cells to fill empty Energon cubes. Starscream uh, calls out Megatron for not having them filled yet, but Megatron says that until he is sure that everything is safe and secure, he's not going to risk exploding them. Quote-unquote, 
To discover if something works, you must dare to test it, says Starscream, as he just begins pushing the buttons on the console of this device. The device appears to be working, with Starscream boasting, maybe it's really time, I become the leader of the Decepticons. If you had this on your Transformers bingo card, you may now check it. And, of course, the machine throws a bit of a wobbly, an element of it explodes, and Megatron threatens Starscream, because this time, he's really crossed the line. Check that off on your bingo card if you had that on there as well. At that moment, we see Prime's crew arrive at this location, with Cliffjumper notably saying, There, Prime, in the valley where Mirage found nothing. <laughs> just, like, gets some just proper call out here. Megatron tells Soundwave to inform the Insecticons, who are nearby, to get ready for action. I guess they're on good terms now, Andy? Are we to assume that? <laughs> Apparently so. And uh, with Megatron emphasising, tell them there'll be a special reward in it for them. So clearly now just bribing them to get them to be on his side. The Autobots proceed to attack, with Cliffjumper throwing yet another jibe at Mirage in the process, and Prime just telling him, stay focused, please. And then at this point... Cliffjumper ends up on top of this giant energy cell machine, has a little tussle with Starscream, and Cliffjumper wins this little confrontation by basically going, Prime, look, attack him now! And Starscream just not believing there was anyone behind him, but this time he was proven wrong! <laughs> and so Mirage, Mirage is then having a tussle with Skywarp, the Insecticons arrive, they're shooting at Mirage, sorry, Mirage is shot at and is blown away from Skywarp. But in the process of this, and this is the key detail that I'm leading to here, as he's like tussling with Skywarp, he rips off a part of Skywarp's wing, which notably is a Decepticon emblem. It's about the size of his hand. At this point, Prime is downed by one of the Insecticons. I've written down Kickback, but I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head. And Cliffjumper has a firefight with Shrapnel. And in the process of having a tussle with him, one of Shrapnel's shots ends up hitting the machine. Now, if we're going by sort of like the way anime lore does this, Andy, that was the end of part A of the episode. <laughs> there is a heck of a lot that's happened up to that point. And now to give you a chance to have a little, a little quick uh, discussion about it, what, what what did you think of the episode so far? And any particular thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm always kind of a fan of the, the sort of the tried and trusted. You know, is is one of the good guys actually a, a secret baddie and a secret traitor? It's sort of it's sort of a weird pick that it's Mirage, given that you know, in more than meets the eye, he literally is the one that saves everybody. Like, if there's one character throughout this series that I would have no doubts of their loyalty. I mean, it would be Optimus Prime. But after that, <laughs> it would probably be Mirage because he's probably been the MVP of more episodes than anybody else. So especially given that season two has this whole raft of new characters, it feels like it would have been kind of an interesting twist to take like one of the new ones who was, you know, not really kind of recognisable to people who were just watching the cartoon and be like, maybe they're not actually who they think they are. So Mirage is a weird pick there, um, but I do like Mirage's character, so it's kind of fine to have more of him. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's sort of, it, it, I, I do quite enjoy that as a sort of tried and trusted plot point. Um, it's, you know, it has to be kind of shoehorned in pretty quickly, but, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that for a, a one-off episode. Um, I did laugh very long and hard at Starscream just blowing everything up and being like, no, let me, I'll, I'll push the buttons, I'll show you how this is done. And then, of course, it all goes to pop. 
Um, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of, you know, pretty... I, I, I did write Insecticons in all capitals because I was excited to see the Insecticons again. Um, <laughs> as mentioned, still a big a big fan of them. Um, so um, yeah, you know, it's 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 been it's some some pretty solid stuff so far, and and some good Starscream being an idiot. So we're always here for that. I do agree with you about the point of the, the sort of the is there a traitor in the ranks type thing. It's always a really fun storyline. I do wish there was a little bit more elaboration as to why Cliff Jumper is being so gun jumper about this. Because it, it's yeah. almost like it, it just happens out of nowhere and it's quite a tonal shift as well just for an Autobot to outright accuse someone. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it's sort of... I'm glad at least that they picked Cliff Jumper as the kind of the character that does that because you know it has been well established at this point that he is like impetuous and you know jumps the gun as as is the the, the running joke at this point. So it's like they picked the right character to do that, but yeah, it would be it it, it just sort of comes in out of nowhere. Like it would have it would have been nice if they'd had a little bit of time for you know, maybe Cliff Jumper seeing Mirage do something early on that he misinterprets and then kind of joins the dots on this whole while he was on patrol here. I mean, you'd have thought that the Autobots would have realised by now the Decepticons incredibly fast at building things. Like, just because he was on patrol there yesterday doesn't mean they couldn't have built an entire base in that time because, I mean, God, yeah, how many bases have they built in, like, a matter of, a matter of hours? So, you know, speed of building is not their issue there. Yeah, it's... Again, I know we have to sort of keep, I have to, keep, especially to myself, keep saying, just remember this is a kid's cartoon. But it's just, it's a little details like that where, from my point of view, when I was a kid, I would always pay attention to things like that. Like, because sometimes you would rewatch episodes over and over, you would notice things, you'd pick up on small details. And it's, it's sometimes just little things like that that I wish just could be a, just elaborated on, even just by like a, a random line of dialogue. And you're like, okay. That's why that's there. Like almost like a continuity editor type thing. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a just like, hey, this is the second time this has happened or something is enough to be like, okay, you know, there's a history here rather than a just, you know, something happened one time, therefore you're a traitor. It's like, you know, I mean, God, it's a good job they didn't have Twitter in these days or Cliff Jumper would be a nightmare. You'd just be, <laughs> you know, throwing accusations out all always. Oh my. <laughs> You'd be like, at, at, at Mirage is at it again. <laughs> hashtag, ha hashtag, that's not a word. Uh, hashtag, oh, Mirage. Yeah, hashtag traitor. <laughs> hashtag, what, 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 hashtag prime out. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back from the ad break, Megatron's priority is saving the energy cells and he sprays nitrogen from his arm to smother the flames. I didn't know this was an ability, Andy. I won't question it. No, I mean, it's it's good to know. I mean, having blown so much stuff up, it's about time Megatron had a fire extinguisher installed in himself. So, I mean, I mean, you can kind of imagine after all the Energon accidents he's had that he's just kind of like gone, be, look, can you just, can I just have some kind of extinguisher system? Because Starscream's always blowing stuff up. I'm always blowing stuff up. It's, you know... I mean, at least Megatron is caring about this health and safety issue and not just like, letting things go wrong again and again. At least he's taking preventative measures. For once. For once. <laughs> <laughs> With the, the Decepticons distracted and the energy cells at this point clearly very unstable, Prime orders the Autobots to retreat after they check on the status of Mirage following his tussle with Skywarp earlier that I mentioned. 
Back at Autobot HQ, Mirage is worked on by Ratchet, with Cliff, Cliff Jumper once again accusing Mirage of lying about stuff. This is like the fourth time in about ten minutes in this episode. Prime tells Cliff Jumper that he needs proof of such accusations, but in the meantime, he can go he can just go back and go back to where they were and keep an eye on the Decepticons. Mirage is ordered to rest, but under his breath, basically says, I don't need any rest. I've got to get back in the field. We then see Mirage arrive at a base, which turns out to be where the Insecticons are. He's spying on a conversation about Megatron being a bit stingy, only giving them two Energon cubes for the help that they just gave them. Mirage cloaks himself, sneaks into the base, steals the Energon cubes, because at this point the Insecticons have just vanished for whatever reason, but he leaves that piece of Skywarp's wing that he had with the Decepticon emblem in the base. You can kind of guess where this is going, everybody. Mirage then arrives back at the Electro Cells device, Energon cubes in hand, and sets them down. But he hasn't noticed that Cliff Jumper has spotted him on the ridge above. This is all the evidence that Cliff Jumper needs, and decides he is fully he's fully aware now of Mirage's loyalty, and sets his sights on shooting him, because that's exactly the kind of course of action you do at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you're Cliff Jumper, like one hundred percent. Kinda of surprising <laughs> it took him this long, to be honest. His justification, by the way, I, I wanted to make a note of this, for shooting him is he could never shoot a fellow Autobot, but Mirage is no longer one of them. Yeah. That's all it took. <laughs> <laughs> and just as he's about to pull the trigger, the Insecticons fly by, with Mirage saying to himself that his plan is working perfectly. So clearly, he has a plan in all this. Is he a traitor? Let's find out. Kitback saying, first the Decepticons reward us, then they rob us. And I think it was Bombshell that said, we'll take back our Energon cubes and more. Mirage, now cloaked at this point, is, is like seeing the commotion involving the Insecticons, but Cliffjumper takes his eyes off the target, that being Mirage, loses track of him. Starscream then appears behind him, and Cliffjumper takes down Starscream just by colliding with him in his alternate car form. And though Cliffjumper has escaped the situation, Mirage has not, likely because of all the damage that he suffered earlier and didn't rest like he was told to by Dr. Ratchet. Starscream and Megatron spot him and fire at him, but at the same time, the Insecticons are in the same firing line as where Mirage is, so now they begin to get attacked a little bit, and then Megatron and Starscream's blast nearly hit them. And at this point, in a really cool moment, Andy, which I, in hindsight, I kind of want to see this escalated even more, we once again nearly got a bit of a civil war between two sides of Decepticons, and Mirage using this opportunity to slip away in the process. The Decepticons have been played, and they don't even realise it. But Mirage is caught in the crossfire of this mini-civil war I was discussing. And now, at this point, in another... In another... What's the way to phrase this? In another addition to the list of what cool ability do the Insecticons have? Bombshell, I believe it was, basically takes control of Mirage. He puts a little chip on his forehead, and now he can just control all of his movements and stuff. Andy, is there any limit to what cool ability the Insecticons have? 
yeah, you see, this 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 was the one that I I didn't realize was actually kind of in the cartoon. So I think I mentioned in their last appearance, like you know, that in in the comics, like Bombshell Cerebro Shell is kind of like his big deal, his sort of his ultimate power, if you like, because yeah, he has the ability to fire that at people and take control of them. So again, yeah, very excited me of an insectical moment of like, oh cool, he's using his Cerebro Shell because I think that's kind of fun and interesting. So uh, it was good to see that get an outing. Now, once Mirage has been taken over, he's now under their control, the Insecticons basically get him to fire one of his rockets, literally in Skywarp's back. So, we also now see the power of Mirage's missiles, which is pretty cool. Now, at this point, that is a commercial break, Andy, so probably a good time just to take a pause there for a sec. Any additional thoughts you want to convey? Because, to, to give you something to roll off of, if you will... I, I love the way that we've got this... This story is just escalating. That is Mirage a traitor or not? And you see his plan unfold. Which, to be fair, is a really good plan. Like, Mirage ain't no slouch. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, again, once again, like, Mirage is kind of taking it to the Decepticons. And, yeah, like, he, he seems to have all of the best plans. And as it turns out, his, like ability to uh, to cloak himself is kind of like, you know, probably one of the more valuable ones the Autobots have when it comes to offensive stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I do really like all of this segment of the episode. Like, I think this plays out pretty smartly um, because, yeah, like, you've got a, a well-crafted plan on Mirage's side, but also a well-crafted plan that could be completely misconstrued by somebody seeing him from the outside and being like, what the heck is he doing? Um, so all of that is fun. Always up for a bit of Decepticon Civil War because it's always like you know, given all the the various sort of characters in that, it's always bubbling under the surface. You always know that something is about to kick off if anything goes vaguely wrong. Um, so it's always nice to see that kind of come to fruition and, and a bit of a bit of inter Decepticon fisticuffs. Hundred percent agree. At Autobot HQ, Cliffjumper updates Prime on everything he's seen. But Prime, when it comes to the status of Mirage, wants to hear his side of the story because he's a good leader and likes balance. But obviously the first order of business is to get the device back, that being the energy cells. So Prime, Ratchet and Cliffjumper each roll out. Back at the device, we get a, we still have this big firefight going on, and Mirage is now firmly under Insecticon control. Megatron confronts Bombshell, and now the pieces of what have happened start to fall into place. Into place, excuse me. Megatron knows what has happened because they had found, they had discovered that part of Skywarp's wing was missing. So all the pieces of this puzzle have now fallen into place. With everything cleared up, a truce is reached. For now, at least. Bombshell was about to off Mirage, but Megatron stops him and says he has a plan. Prime's crew now arrive back at the scene, but nothing's going on. It's very quiet. Mirage appears and said that he took care of all of them. Cliffjumper protests, but Prime wants to hear Mirage out. He explains that he took the Energon from the Insecticons to make them think the Decepticons had stolen it back from them. They began to fight each other, but the Insecticons fled and the Decepticons followed. Now they can get the Electro Cells. Cliffjumper still doesn't trust him. If I've got this quote right, Andy, I'm going to try and say this correctly. My Cybro Polygraph is screaming trap. Which, that that was my favourite line of the episode, I think. It was yeah, such a that, good is, that is a very good line. Prime agrees it could be, 
but they have to try. So at this point, I've got no idea what Prime actually thinks, but there we go. Mirage leads the way, and then the Autobots are ambushed, with Mirage also joining in the Decepticon attack as well. C Cliff Jumper is able to sock one to Mirage, who is knocked out in the process. Bombshell, trying to command his slave, is just having no response. And he's about to off him once again when Ratchet leaps in to save him, and then notices there's a device on his forehead. He removes it, and the old Mirage is back. Everyone now realizes what has happened, Cliff Jumper included. Oopsie! <laughs> With the Autobots heavily outnumbered, they don't have many options. Prime makes the call, that, sorry, Prime makes for the cells, excuse me, with everyone else providing cover from a ridge up above. Inside the structure, we see Prime and Megatron square off. But at that moment, the other Autobots arrive. I'm guessing, Andy, because they took care of all the other Decepticons, or they just ran away? We'll never know. <laughs> and then Megatron is now basically admitting defeat. Which seems dumb, in my opinion, given that all the other Decepticons are outside. But yeah, a debate for another day, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I did, I did note down uh, like basically, WTF is the end of this episode because this, this is really like an episode that feels like it kind of ran out of road. It has all these good ideas, it sets this stuff up, and it sort of feels like somebody looked at the stopwatch and said, "We're out of time, and we can't make this a two-parter." <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, and then I don't, know, and then it all resolved itself back to normal. Because uh, it's a really super kind of dashed off ending that's super unsatisfying once you've set up all this kind of fascinating stuff around Cliff Jumper and Mirage and, you know, the whole Cerebro Shell thing and this Decepticon Civil War. Like you say, so much going on earlier in this episode and then it's just like somebody clicks their fingers and it's like, and then it was all fine. <laughs> now, the other thing, okay, this is another dumb thing, I think, as well at this point, <laughs> is that Megatron's admitted defeat, like I just said. And the other, we know the other Decepticons are outside. So Megatron just decides if he can't have the device, no one can, and just starts shooting up the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that, yeah, that just kind of compounds like how dumb the ending of this episode is because it's like, what is anybody doing here? None of this makes sense. <laughs> we get explosions aplenty, Autobots and Decepticons caught in the crossfire, the Insecticons and Autobots uh, respectively retreat, and then Megatron starts whinging about the fact that the Electro Cells were meant for him! And and even though... So, Andy. Also, I meant to say Decepticons retreated, by the way. I appreciate I said Autobots. If Megatron says the Cells were meant for him, why is he complaining when he's the one that just destroyed them? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's all completely. This is the weird thing about how this, how much this episode kind of falls apart because it feels like even in terms of like the writing, it just sort of it just all fizzles out and none of it really makes all that much sense. And yeah, like it's because that would have been a good point for him to like I don't know like blame Starscream for screwing stuff up earlier or something like that. But it's just like I don't really get what you're doing here at all because this is this is all on you <laughs> back at Autobot HQ Prime is speaking with the two scientists from the start of the episode and they're just happy that the, the situation's resolved even though I think Prime apologised for them not being able to get the device back but the scientists are just happy that the Decepticons can't use it that's fine and then the episode concludes Andy I think this kind of sums up a lot of the writing in the episode this final few moments it concludes with Cliff Jumper making fun of the fact that... What's the way to put this? 
So, he's complaining about the fact that he's, like, got a hole in his head that needs repairing. And he's saying this to Mirage, who has obviously had, like, the device planted on him and stuff. And then they proceed to have a laugh and roll about like they're doing some Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu. What happens in this? I I don't understand. Yeah, it's it, it's all very strange and and very very bizarre. Um, and it almost I, I, feels I, like someone just lost the final few pages of the script. Yeah, or just kind of lost the will to live and was just like, ah, yeah, that's fine, that'll do. Because um, yeah, it definitely it definitely f- falls off a cliff, jumper. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a weird one. So that's the, that's that episode, by the way, everybody. I should say that in case I haven't already. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a very mixed bag, Andy. Like we've both alluded to here, some really interesting and cool ideas, but the payoff was pretty naff. It's got to be said. Yeah, yeah. Like the first half of this episode is really pretty strong, and that's partly its problem because it sets up so much. And it's just like, okay, cool. There's a lot of stuff that you can play with and run with here, and then it's just like, nah. It's fine, and then you know it, it doesn't. It doesn't really do anything with any of the the interesting stuff that it's done. Um, this this is definitely one of those episodes where you just wish you could you know be a fly on the wall in like the the writer's room or whatever for this one to see like what actually went down. Like you know, because I feel like there's got to given everything that they set up, there's got to be a reason for it. And I suspect it was just like, well, we don't have enough time to actually you know we don't have enough runtime to make all of this stuff pay off but weirdly they just don't make any of it pay off as a result and that's kind of the annoying part of it yeah in terms of production order do you know off the top of your head if this was like early on late on in theory um I I'm, do. T- I'm almost just curious like what with because with there being so many ideas it almost has the feeling that this might have been maybe like part way through the season but not at the very end and then someone just kind of maybe fumbled the script or something yeah, I mean, it, it, its production code is kind of, like, early to mid-ish, so it was okay. maybe supposed to come in a bit later than it did, so, I mean, maybe it It doesn't change the fact the ending was awful. But, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. And it's, again, you know, we, the episodes we looked at in the last show, you know, were all pretty solid in terms of, you know, having a beginning, a middle, and an end, whereas this sort of has a beginning and a middle, and then the credits roll practically. So, folks, from there... We move on to our next episode. That being episode six of season two, Enter the Nightbird. We begin the episode with the Autobots finally, Andy, finally installing their equivalent of a burglar alarm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's the nice thing about these episodes. At least we're seeing and learning, l- lessons are being learned. People are making progress, you know, Megatron has a fire extinguisher now, the Autobots have a burglar alarm, you know, we're, we're, we're moving onwards in the world, and, and that's that's an exciting thing. I also feel the need to point out that it was like panels on the floor that could detect metal. So they even thought about, clearly a Decepticon's going to do this. If they step on a panel, we'll get them. Yeah, although they should maybe have thought about the fact that the, the, the Decepticon that infiltrates their base every single week doesn't need to step on the floor because it can fly. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> then Cliffjumper informs Prime that famous, famous scientist Dr. Fujiyama is on the line requesting the Autobots' help to guard his latest invention. We will just take it at face value, Andy, that this is a famous scientist. I shan't question it. 
And the doctor says that this is the greatest robot the world has ever seen. Though primitive by Autobot standards. He won't say directly what it is that he's got in case the Decepticons are eavesdropping. Because do you know why, Andy? Humans are smart. And this is this is this is like impacted even more his discretion on this because Ironhide just says, ah, oh, that won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that that's never happened before. What are you worried about? Definitely hasn't happened every single week for like the last god knows how long. <laughs> Prime agrees, and then we cut to an auditorium where the Autobots are positioned around the venue, with Wheeljack and Ratchet making fun of what could this revolutionary robot be, because, you know, they're the intelligent scientist ones of the Autobots. The Doctor reveals the robot to be the first female ninja robot, and it's named Nightbird. Worth noting that the Autobots, sans Jazz, who had already read about it, who already read about what a ninja is? None of them don't know. None of them know. Excuse me. What a ninja is. So I'm glad to see that Autobot education of, of Earth has continued swimmingly on this. Yeah. Not knowing yeah, dinosaurs, but... now they don't know what ninjas are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of. I feel like it's quite kind of an interesting thing for the, that the series plays with in terms of stuff that like, hey, the audience will will get this, but you know, the Transformers won't. And it's like, I, I quite I actually quite like the fact that it it it, it runs with that as a on, a on a relatively regular basis. Yeah. Also, it is. It's also interesting as well that that for some reason Jazz is the only one that knows. I've got this. Like, I've just got this vision that like Jazz is just reading encyclopedias secretly. Yeah. Well, I mean that is kind of like you know certainly in his like character by that his is his sort of character trait that he is sort of the one Autobot that like lands on Earth is just like Earth culture is amazing. Like I want to absorb as much of it as possible and kind of like the the outward forward facing of that is just like he likes he likes music he likes jazz music but like it is. It is painted as a broader thing of, like, he is just fascinated by Earth culture and wants to kind of, like, integrate himself into as much of it as possible. So it's sort of, it, it, again, it's one of those actually quite nice in-character moments of, like, yeah, if there's one Autobot that would be like, oh, I get this, like, it would be jazz. So uh, fair play to them for that. Good to see some continuity there, as it were, on that, on that front. Exactly. The Doctor goes on to explain that the robot was built to demonstrate... Uh, to demonstrate to the world the limitless capabilities of technology. I'd have thought at this point, Andy, the Autobots were already proof of that. <laughs> to expand the horizons of robotic research and to assist humanity, not to harm it, the Doctor adds. But right on cue, Andy, the Decepticons bust a hole in the entrance of this venue because Trailbreaker wasn't paying attention and it was at the entrance he was guarding at, so silly Trailbreaker. Now, who are the Decepticons that come in? Well, as is eloquently said by some Autobots, Ratchet says, It's that Dynametal Delinquent Rumble! And Mirage following up with, And his punk pal Frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> the two Decepticons, and a short time later, Laserbeak joins a fray as well, cause a lot of damage and start literally bringing the roof down. The Autobots are able to... In are not able to engage, excuse me, because they're waiting for the humans to be evacuated, but not before Megatron and Soundwave get involved and they take out Blue Streak and Brawn in the process of them not joining in the fight. Megatron even eventually shoots Prime in the back and receives a good old punch to the face when he does that for good measure. Suddenly, for the second episode in a row, Andy, the roof of the building is just lifted up again. <laughs> and this is done by the Seekers and they use a grapple hook 
kind of like the like I made the UFO catcher reference when we were talking about Autobot Spike. Kind of like that moment, and two of them just pick up Nightbird and carry it away. And with their job done, the Decepticons leave. Also should be noted, uh, I will also note, Andy, this line from Starscream as they are about to leave. Quote unquote. We're not staying long, auto boobs. Just come to pick up a friend. Yeah, I did. I did write my notes all in caps, auto boobs, because um, <laughs> uh, not not the not the best line from this set of, of four episodes, but it's it's way up there as, as a good a, a good <laughs> ding on the the Autobots. We then cut to a desert where a big purple Decepticon logo is sticking out of the ground. That's because that's where their new temporary base is, with a front door that sounds like a door opening on the Starship Enterprise. I noted. Yep, gotta 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 got love those uh, those stock sounds that, uh, <laughs> that, that that crop up in places. It's, it's like whenever you you watch some place where they have laser swords, and it's always like the lightsaber sounds, and it's like, are you allowed to use those? But it seems like you know you see them everywhere in everything. So I guess they're just actual like stock sounds that anybody can use. Mm. We then sorry inside we then see bombshell of the Insecticons working on Nightbird, adjusting some settings, reprogramming it. Lots of things like that. The process having been completed by installing a new chip in the back of its head. I love warping minds for you, Megatron. Love it, says the Insecticom. Nightbot is activated and is programmed to steal, Andy. And I noted this because I feel this is a perfect name for something that encapsulates everything that like energy-related antics in Transformers is all about. It's programmed to steal... The World Energy Chip. Yeah, it sort of feels like they'd run out of like exotic devices at this point, and it's like, well, what else can we use that is going to solve all the world's energy problems? Like, what about the World Energy Chip? I'm like, okay, sure, that'll work. Now, to add some additional context here, which we actually find out later in the episode, th- this is actually a chip that itemizes all of the world's energy supplies and apparently andy if the dialogue is to be believed later in the episode also allows the user to tap into them as well so this means the autobots just have control of the earth's energy in teledran it's basically just a smart meter is what i'm getting out of it (laughs) but uh, you know but but before it's time you know that that was that was decades in the future so (laughs) Uh, also i will say um when Nightbird kind of first started becoming active, Starscream is throwing like a few insults, and then Nightbird just basically punches him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Nightbird learns quickly what to do <laughs> as part of the Decepticons. <laughs> Back at the auditorium, Prime vows to return the robot ninja as quickly as possible. And out of all of the Autobots, Brawn is the most banged up, and has actually ultimately had to ride in the back of Ratchet to actually get back to HQ. At HQ, though, the burglar alarm system is active at the main entrance. And this is crucial, Andy, because Nightbird's first challenge is to get inside Autobot HQ. No easy going like Laserbeak had it. No, 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 no. Nightbird must be creative. So the way Nightbird does this is to scale the volcano to the very top where the arc is lodged. And then I'm assuming we've seen this now for the first time, Andy, that... On the other side of, like, the ridge of the volcano, there's just a bunch of elevators, like, a bunch of lifts, and then Nightbird just drops down, and I think it was Prowl and Spike having a conversation inside, and it just kind of lowers down a few levels, and then Nightbird just kind of gets in the base that way. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the route B apparently into the Autobot base, where, where they haven't. Well, I mean, I guess you know, she's a ninja, so she gets to do ninja stuff. So you know, oh, yeah, it was I'm really cool. That. I'm not knocking that. <laughs> Just... So at this point, Nightbird has gained entry and is walking through some corridors and such, and then notices there's something on the ground. It's the new security system that can detect metal, like I mentioned earlier. If you step on them. But no one ever anticipated, Andy, that someone might have what I've called at this point magnetic boots, but I'll have to rename that later in the episode. But magnetic boots to scale the wall upside down. <laughs> it was yeah, a really ninja. cool little moment, and they really took that ninja that ninja theme, I'm going to say, to their full advantage here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a really fun little bit of this, because it... It could have just been like, oh, you know, the humans made a robot, but like it's a very deliberate, we made a ninja robot just at the time when the Decepticons maybe needed a ninja robot to get into Autobot HQ. So, um, yeah, like I, I, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that. That's, that's pretty fun. Nightbird manages to also sneak past the infirmary where Brawn is being worked on, ultimately ending up in the ops room where Teletran is and removing the world energy chip and begins to escape. But the alarm sounds. Everyone knows that something is up. Mirage encounters her, but is literally throat chopped, which I thought was great because then Mirage starts like reacting to it. And I'm thinking, you're a robot. You can't get throat chopped, surely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't know how Transformers throats work. Maybe, maybe they do. <laughs> like, maybe it's all the same. Who knows? So, and then at that point, because the alarm is sounding and everyone's realising stuff is going on, we go to a commercial break at this point. I've talked a heck of a lot there, Andy. Any other additional notes you wanted to make note of before we proceed? Um, I I genuinely really like the way they set up, like, Nightbird and her intro. Like, it's a really good... I was kind of, like, half expecting... I, I think I have, like, seen this episode before because it's one of those ones that sort of gets talked about a fair bit in, like, Transformers fandom, partly because it's, like kind of the first female Transformer, even though it's sort of also kind of not. Um, but I, I like the way they, they play this, where it's, you know, it's not instantly the Autobots are like, oh, wow, the humans made, like, you know, made a robot. Like, you know, I like the fact that they diss it for a while and then see it and be like, actually, that's kind of impressive. Like, they've actually done it. They've made something pretty cool there. Um, that's a nice little turnaround um, on, on that whole thing. Um, I, I also want to know, you know, was was like Dr. Fujiyama still like, you know, this unprecedented like genius doctor while Dr. Arkerville was still around? Has he like moved into like the top slot because Dr. Arkerville's not around anymore? Who knows? <laughs> but I'm 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 curious. Like I'd like to think there's some like spin-off series that's just some like rivalry between the two of them of like making the craziest invention or something. Um but no, I, I really like this episode thus far. Like it's kind of Sometimes when, you know, a show tries to do something like this and introduces, you know, like an, an original character, it just ends up being really dumb or kind of, you know, a bit row or a bit dull. Because it's kind of, you, you've got all these cool robots, like the Transformers, you've got all these cool robots already. So, like, how do you make something that it doesn't just feel clunky in comparison? And going down the ninja route is actually a pretty good way of doing it because it just feels like oh yeah like this is something different you know it's not just another robot with a big gun like it's a robot that brings something different to the table and you know now it's kind of a wild card in the midst of all this as well it's sort of you know it it, it gives a different focus and ups the ante a bit from the the usual fare 
Definitely. And just as a quick note before I proceed, you've now got me wondering if Dr. Archiville is still just stuck on Cybertron in his half-robot, half-human form. Yeah, we'll, I mean... We'll probably he, never know. <laughs> we, we, we know. I, I, we, we will certainly never know. So you mentioned about Nightbot... Nightbot. <laughs> I'm just going to start again. You mentioned about Nightbird having some nifty tricks and whatnot. Let's talk about that, because Prime, Jazz, and Cliffjumper, along with Blue Streak, have Nightbird cornered. But Nightbird uses a nifty trick involving her herself spinning so fast, it causes almost like a flash bomb type effect. Just a really, really cool little moment, and that allows her to escape, and the Autobot's just being completely dumbfounded over what just happened. That, Andy, is an example of a really cool little moment. Yeah, and again, it's it's a good use of like the ninja idea and 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 kind of like porting that over to well, but but she's it's like it's the robot version of that because you know normally you'd have your kind of like smoke bomb and then they just disappear and it's like you know it's it's kind of the the, the robot lady version of that which is uh, is yeah it's it's good it's good fun stuff. So now, Prime, Jazz, Mirage, Cliffjumper, Hound, and Brawn begin moving outside to track her down, with Ratchet tasked to continue repairs inside, and more specifically, Teletran. Ironhide basically coming out with a line of, Yeah, that little she-bot ain't no demo unit when it comes to action. <laughs> There's some, there are some interesting one-liners in this show, Andy. As yeah, we've come to yeah. discover. That's, that's, that's a, a, another, another good one. They find Nightbird traversing a ridge a short way away, and Prime takes her out just with, like, a stun ray right in the back. Or so he thought. Because, as Optimus Prime says when he goes over to her, she was playing Roboto Possum! <laughs> <laughs> Another great line. Yeah, good, good to know that they have, like, robot possums in, on Cybertron. Like, important knowledge has been imparted. <laughs> we need to see... A, a <laughs> we need to see a robot possum. I need yeah. to I mean, maybe, this. I mean, I was going to say, if, if they didn't originate on, like, Earth, that, like, maybe that's what one of the Dinobots would have been on Cybertron. Like, yeah, maybe they would have transformed <laughs> into a possum. Who knows? Just imagine Grimlock being a possum. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why he's just so, like, into his new role. Is just like, well, at least I'm not a possum anymore. <laughs> or we go back to that what-if story you were talking about in the comics. Like, what if you were a toaster? What yeah. if you were a possum? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This leads to an encounter where the Autobots are trying to apprehend her, but crucially without damaging her. This doesn't go well as Prime is downed and ultimately she even disappears holding Prime's rifle. Back at Decepticon Temporary HQ, Megatron and Bombshell are very happy with how Nightbird is doing. But Starscream is predicting this will all end in failure due to Bombshell's hardware alterations likely causing a burnout. Back at Autobot HQ, Ratchet comes to realise what Nightbird has stolen and is able to do a temporary fix on Teletran to get that information over to Prime. Now knowing what has been stolen, the Autobots utilise Hound's scanning the local area ability to find Nightbird and, conveniently, it works! They manage to corner her in a ravine. If you're, if you're in your Transformers bingo card you had, are they going to end up in a ravine? You may do this now and check that box. But Prime has the bright idea of trying to take on Nightbird one-on-one. -on -one. I say bright idea because ultimately she flees after having him on the ropes for a few moments. 
This leads to a fun chase sequence through the ravine area, with Nightbird ultimately climbing up the side of a ridge using what I called earlier the magnetic foot ability. I'm just going to call it the sticky foot ability at this point, I guess, because that's all I've got. But because of a rock coming loose as she's grabbing onto it, tumble to the ground. Andy, I feel the need to say, for everything cool that Nightbird was doing at this point, that was a real low point. <laughs> it's like yeah. ultimately downed because a rock gave way. It's like, come I, on! It would, 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 wouldn't be an episode of Transformers without somebody falling into a ravine, I guess. And like, <laughs> Bumblebee was busy, so it's, it falls to Nightbird to uh, to have the pratfall. Yeah, but but Bumblebee's agent went, nope, not this time. Need to pay extra yeah, for that. Yeah, but it, it is it is super disappointing after all the cool stuff she does of just being like, oh, and then she just like tripped up basically, and it's like, oh, <laughs> oh. Mirage uses his cloaked ability, once again, playing the MVP role of the episode, to retrieve Prime's rifle and Prime shoot her, going against his promise to the Doctor about making sure that the, the robot will re be returned unharmed. Then we see various Autobot abilities being foiled by Nightbird. The most amusing, I found, Andy, being that Jazz went into, like, car mode and put the speakers on full blast, which temporarily gave Nightbird a bit of a headache. And then she just threw what I'm gonna call were, like, bits of her knee joints from the side, like, in the shape of a circle, just threw them, and that was enough to just diffuse the sound completely. And this was compounded further by there being lots and lots of noise, and then the sound just stops. There's like a really dramatic, awkward pause, and then it goes to like the eye catch bit with the Autobot logo. <laughs> I laughed so hard; it was great. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess you've got to got to keep those ninja stars somewhere. So uh, there you go. Ah, so there we go. So there we go. Megatron is loving what he is seeing. With him making it known, he thinks he's found the perfect replacement for Starscream. Starscream takes great exception to this, and so punches Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> that that, um, that that was like my my favorite. We, there are some good Starscream moments in these episodes. That was my favorite because also like he really like squeals like replace me never and then just like punches him. <laughs> it's just like because you know normally like you get a bit of joshing between the two of them, and you know usually Megatron will occasionally you know whack Starscream. You don't normally get it the other way around, but I just like the the voice acting of like Starscream in that moment. It just sounds so completely outraged of like how dare you! I really really enjoyed that moment. We get a few moments of that this week, and it's pretty damn great. It's got to be said. So now, Starscream is ultimately restrained in an energy cage, kind of like we saw a few episodes earlier when it came to a couple of humans during... In fact, it was probably during the Ultimate Doom trilogy, actually, when Dr. Yeah. Archerville had a few of them restrained, one of those energy cages. At this point, the Autobots have restrained Nightbird in, quote-unquote Andy, an auto-mesh prison, i.e. energy chains. <laughs> and Megatron makes the call for them to go out and save Nightbird and the chip. This leads to a firefight between the Autobots and Decepticons. Ultimately, Bombshell able to retrieve the chip before he is shot in midair by Brawn. Brawn having the wonderful line, Andy, of You're really starting to bug me! Because, you know, Insecticon joke there. Yeah, yeah. Worst, <laughs> wor worst joke since all the snow jokes that we had the other the other episodes. But, uh, <laughs> hey, they, they, can't, they can't all be zingers, I guess, Brawn. So, you know, fair enough. <laughs> Prime is now in possession of the chip, but Megatron frees Nightbird using an antimatter blaster to absorb the energy from the cage. I didn't know that was a thing, Andy, but nice to know Megatron's also got that ability. 
Yeah, I mean, if all else fails, like again, it's one of those like how how do we make a thing sound super cool? Like if you add if you make it antimatter, then suddenly <laughs> it is like two thousand times more awesome. So yeah, like good good to know that we've got some some antimatter on the go here. Starscream in his prison is watching what is going on from Decepticon HQ, and somehow, and I really mean somehow, launches a missile which somehow goes through the energy cage and he somehow manages to direct the missile to hit the release button on a console without it exploding. I mean, let, let, let's not forget that in the last episode we talked about, was it, was it Skywarp or Thundercracker that had their like ricocheting it, missile that bounced around? the immobilizer, around, yeah. Yeah, that bounced around for like about 10 minutes of the episode without exploding. <laughs> so, I mean, Starscream doing that, like I can I can buy it now. I'm not really sure. And, and to be fair, you know, I, I, I had the Starscream toy as a kid and I fired the missiles at things and it never exploded. So I guess that's the <laughs> thing it can do. So, you know, it all makes sense to me. Starscream, sorry, sorry, at this point, Starscream's out, out the cage and he is vowing to show Megatron what his precious ninja is really like. He ends up going to the battle and the way he demonstrates this, Andy, this is an ingenious idea by Starscream. He fires his null ray to incapacitate the ninja and then bails incredibly quickly after being very happy with his hard work. The battle then comes to a swift end because, quite rightly, Megatron has just go after the traitor <laughs> because he's ruined the plan. Then back at the auditorium with Dr. Fujiyama, Nightbird has been returned unharmed somehow and is officially deprogrammed and put into storage forever, quote-unquote, according to the Doctor. The episode then ends with sort of a, a, a close-up shot on Nightbird's face and then we see... A very, very, very notable glare from the eyes and also angry glowing in the eyes as well. Will Nightbird return? I don't know, but I guess it's possible. <laughs> and and that's how the episode ends. Overall, Andy, a very, very strong episode of Transformers here. Loads of cool stuff going on. The ninja dynamic, as we've talked about, was really, really good fun. And even, like, just the stuff involving the Decepticons and, you know, Starscream really getting... Rather, Nightbird really getting under Starscream's skin because of everything that's going on. Just some really fun dynamics to play with. And even, like, the ending, in my opinion, it was a little bit of a cop-out just to have Starscream fire a Null Ray. But in the context of what we've seen before, it actually makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It, it kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of works and it sort of... I mean, clearly, the way this episode ends makes you feel like they were pretty proud with the character they created in Nightbird, and they didn't just want to, like, destroy it and wanted to keep it, like, on the back burner as, like, maybe we can bring this character back and, like, you know, have them do some other thing sometime, um, which I think kind of tells you that, that they clearly felt like they, they'd done something pretty good here themselves. Um, I do like to think that... Um, after Starscream does that with his null rate and then runs off that like Optimus Prime just kinda leans over to Cliff Jumper, you see, that's what a traitor does. Like not 
not the other stuff you were having a go at last week. That's that's proper treachery. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good episode. Like Nightbird is is really cool and you know surprisingly so for just sort of an original kind of throwaway character. Um, I mean, having mentioned about lightsaber sound effects, I forgot she has a literal lightsaber in this episode <laughs> yes. as well, with with all the proper all the proper sounds um but yeah like it's 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 a really you know again for for all of the the failings that like you know that the previous episode has this kind of like nails a lot of those things because yeah like you know the ending is a bit dashed off but it makes sense everything around it and in the build-up to it is kind of far more interesting in terms of sort of character dynamics and it all it all basically pays off in some shape or form and so yeah like i was I, I think this one is, is one where, you know, I've definitely watched this before and like heard this episode talked about by reputation. I think you can kind of see why, because it is a really fun episode and, you know, it gives you a, a really interesting original character that's not part of the usual the usual lineup. Yeah, out of interest then, I'm assuming based on what you said that Nightbird never returns. I not that I recall. Like, I mean, maybe again, there's a lot of season two and three that I've not seen. Maybe she does crop up again somewhere, but I feel like she's a kind of one and done character. But you know, they they, they do good stuff with her while she's around, so you know, it's all good. Were there ever any toys or anything, or like any comic follow up to your knowledge, or is this literally no. just cartoon exclusive? Yeah, I think I think I think it's cartoon original. Um, weirdly, I was kind of like um, reading something else um, the other day where I didn't realize that basically, um, certainly in the comics, like Marvel had to be really smart. If basically if Marvel made any original characters for the Transformers comic, the rights to that instantly transferred to Hasbro. The, the moment mm. that they were introduced. So what they did with Circuit Breaker, who is like a recurring uh, character in the Transformers cartoon and the Transformers comics, is they introduced her in another Marvel comic for literally like two panels, so that they could say no, she's not, she's not a Transformers original character because she turned up in this uh, this installment of Secret Wars two, and so you can't have her. Um, <laughs> Which oh, is a fan- it's such a comic thing to do. Yeah, it was just this fantastic kind of because they they kind of felt like we've cr- again it's kind of similar to what you get the, the feeling you get with Nightbird here where it's like we've created a really good strong character here. We're not going to let Hasbro have her. Like we we want to keep her and maybe spin it out into its own thing. So you know they introduce it via another comic first. So I don't know whether there's maybe a similar thing here where they were kind of you know they were kind of hamstrung by the fact that like oh we probably you know. Hasbro are going to have words if we like make this a recurring character because they're going to want to like create toys or be just be like, what the hell are you doing? We don't have a toy for this because you know this is also a point in time where all the all the Transformers we see are kind of just like from other toy lines where they've just melded them all together. They weren't really looking to make new ones, so they would probably have been like kind of annoyed if like Nightbird had become the toy the the, the robot that all the kids wanted because it's like, well, we we don't. We don't have one of those. So what have, what have you done? <laughs> oh man, I, I I say like bureaucracy for like as an all encompassing word, but it's just, it's a wonderful story that like, and you can you see it happen in so many different sort of realms of the entertainment industry as well. Like, I mean, Spider Man is kind of an easy prime example of that, just when it comes to licensing and the fact that yeah. like I think it's Fox or Sony currently own the rights and they're having 
And the way that Marvel get it back is to basically license their own character back to themselves. It's so weird. And in a weird way, it's really good fun to know stories like that. Yeah, yeah. It's the kind of stuff I always find fascinating. Because, you know, you, you look at it from the outside and you're just like, oh, it's really weird that they never did more with that character. Like, they were really popular. And then you kind of get to see all the the the, 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 the wiring under the board of it. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, there's a whole like political thing here going on as well. <laughs> so from there everybody let's move on to our next episode episode seven changing gears i don't know i don't know why i said that like david hater just then doing metal gear solid but i mean i i, I just want to say like this is a really good episode title like i'm a big fan of kind of like referential titles like that that kind of <laughs> tell you exactly what's going to happen but you don't know exactly what's going to happen and changing gears is a really good a really good kind of um like you know bit of wordplay so so kudos to them for this one yeah i didn't make notes of actually who the writers were so i guess credit to them probably for naming the episode we begin this episode at a mine where workers have literally just struck gold, but their celebrations are short-lived as the Decepticons arrive and utterly trash the place, then round up the workers in the process, seemingly as prisoners. One of them is allowed to signal for help on the radio because this is part of Megatron's plan. At Autobot HQ, the distress call is received and the Autobots are getting ready to roll out. They're running into the ops room. Well... Everyone except Gears, who is quite, I think it's fair to say, Andy, ambling towards the ops room. He is annoyed that the distress call has come in because he says this happens every time I want to get some maintenance done. Because, you know, and pr priorities, everybody. Yeah, and he's not wrong. I mean, this does happen on the regular. Like, you know, you, you don't get much downtime if you're an Autobot on Earth, as it turns out. <laughs> at the mining camp the prisoners are now combined uh, combined rather confined is what i meant to say in one of those energy cages that we've come to see now and starscream is wanting to know if he can off them to which megatron says he can but then at that point the autobots attack causing a brief firefight but not before megatron suddenly lets the humans free from their cage the reason he's done this is because he knew that Prime would order the Autobots to not attack until the humans are safe, thus not endangering them. Megatron basically, like I said, Megatron knew this would be Prime's reaction, and he then energizes some boulders at the top of a cliff behind them to then strike the Autobots without them seeing. Then he turns his atten attention to Gears specifically, and... We come to find out the reason for this is because Gears is an integral part of what Megatron has planned in this episode. We cut to a forest-like location where we are introduced to Megatron's Solar Needle. The way to sum this up is there's a central point and around the area there are other sort of little pylons that are all interconnected but ultimately pointing towards that centre section. It's a device that Megatron intends to quote-unquote, pierce the fiery heart of the sun to harness its power. <laughs> that, Andy, is a great line of dialogue. Yeah, and it's a really cool machine. Like, you know, I mean, for the Decepticons have, have had some pretty nifty things. Like, the whole Space Bridge thing is, is kind of cool. But, like, this was definitely a, 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 like, oh, this is kind of awesome. And just, like, yeah, the whole idea that what are we going to do this week? It's like we're not going to steal some oil or, you know, some 
computer chip. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna fire a, a thing that just pierces the sun. I'm like, cool. That sounds like a really good like supervillain plan. I am here for it. You built an awesome machine. Like you know, honestly, kind of rooting for the Decepticons this episode. That's it's just kind of <laughs> cool. Now, remember how we mentioned that, that Gears was, was an integral part of this plan? It's because Megatron had somehow conducted some secret research, not elaborated how, not going to question it, and he we've come to find out that Gears is the only Autobot that has a specific type of chip inside of him that can power the solar needle. I, I have many questions, Handy. <laughs> But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna labour the point because like we said, Megatron said it's secret research, so I, I won't discourage Megatron. But what I will say is Gear's response to this when he was told all this information by Megatron. Quote unquote Go ding your diodes and get defunct, Megatron. I'm not helping you do zilch. Yep, get 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 defunct is really that feels like somebody in the original script wrote a swear word and like you can't put that in there. I was like, but what about if I do it like this? And it's like, yeah, you, you did it. You made what, it work. What's the closest way we could say a swear word without saying a swear word? Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 always a fan of like you know it's, it it is one of the true joys about like watching Transformers is you know we 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 love like talking about the one liners but you can tell the writers really enjoyed doing all of those because it's like how do you make this sound really rude without being really rude and there's a lot of fun to be had in in that and and just sometimes skirting the edges of like oh we can use we can use the word boobs that's all right um, but uh, I I'm always a fan of of all of those kind of uh, those kind insults it's, it's great stuff starscream then hits gears with a null ray to incapacitate him long enough for megatron to remove the trip the, the trip this is a good tongue twister the chip from gears there you go got there in the end also interesting to know andy after the chip was removed gears suddenly appears to be good-natured a complete 180 degree personality and is not complaining like a whining kid is now just very happy and quite content with life yeah, and the, the, this is where the title comes in. So, um, good, good, uh, good stuff. It's it's weird. Like, I don't like this part of the episode. I don't like this as a plot device. And it's really weird. Like, trying to figure out in my head, like, why this is the line where, like, the 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 science, quote unquote, in Transformers is suddenly like too much for me. Because we've had all these dumb things and world energy chips. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, that's, that, that all checks out. <laughs> and then it's like, Gears has like a chip that, you know, will power a sun-piercing device, but also like basically controls his personality. I'm like, nope, that makes no sense. I don't like it. <laughs> like, I don't know why that is the point where I'm suddenly like, no, no, I don't like it. That's the point where you went, objection! <laughs> yeah, exactly that. The device is activated and a giant energy beam of light hits the sun, reflects back at the device, and at that point, quite promptly, just starts causing earthquakes worldwide and solar flares. Ooh! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a hot minute since the Decepticons almost destroyed the Earth with environmental disasters, but here we are again. <laughs> Megatron is behind this. I bet my titanium torsion bars on it, says Optimus Prime as everyone is trying to avoid falling debris from mountains outside their base. There are some really great one-liners in this episode, mate, just in general. <laughs> Teletran confirms that the imbalance of energy will cause the sun to explode in two Earth hours. Not astroseconds, 
Earth hours, everybody. I'm glad we had that explicitly said this time around. And has determined that the source of this problem is in the, quote-unquote, Andy, geographic centre of Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can can you just tell us what country? Uh, It's like, again, I I suspect there's some script writing thing there of like, please don't name-check a specific country for this one. We might get in trouble. Can you just... Pick a continent and we'll just say it's in the middle of there somewhere. That'll that'll do it. <laughs> At some point in time, we might want to license this to that territory. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 exactly. They roll out and avoid debris in the process. Back at the solar needle, which actually in my notes, quite amusingly, I've written down as space needle. That's something completely different. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's probably a whole other episode about the space needle. <laughs> Energy is being generated like crazy, and Giz is basically just being a good little slave at this point for Starscream, and is filling Energon cubes. He's happy to do so, also, Andy, but he doesn't know why. Bit of a weird one, but there you go. Also worth noting that Starscream is concerned about all of the earthquakes, thus being the scientist role, which he wasn't in the previous episode and such, but Megatron doesn't give a damn, quite frankly. Once again, he's gone from being health and safety expert Megatron to now not caring a, d- a damn in the world. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's weird because, you know, we, we've talked in, in this episode a bit about, like, some of the character continuity stuff that we like around, you know, Cliff Jumper and Mirage, etc., etc. But then on the other end of that spectrum, you have these really weird shifts where sometimes Megatron is the sensible one of, like, no, this is a bad idea. This will blow everything up. Don't do that, Starscream. And the, literally the next episode, he's like, ah, who cares? Let's blow everything up, even though we're still on this planet. Um, and it's kind of hard to get a bead on, like, where they're where their priorities lie half the time. We then cut to outside the forest area where where everything is taking place, and the Autobots are basically having their journey slowed down considerably by all the foliage about the place. So they have to start using their laser beams and whatnot to basically clear a path. We then cut back to the Solar Needle, with Gears saying the following line, I should be angry at you, Megatron, you evil son of a retro rad, but for some reason, I just can't get too upset. Gears having the great lines in this episode. But at this point, Starscream has had enough of Gears and tries to shoot him. But in typical Starscream fashion, blunders this, is able to then... Well, then doesn't. He's not able to. He does hit one of the outer columns of the solar needle I mentioned a few minutes ago, which bounces back to their location. And this causes Gears to be launched into Soundwave, who's holding an energy cube. The energy cube goes flying and is absorbed into the path of one of the energy beams currently operating on this giant device. Megatron at this point, Andy, it should be noted, only threatens Starscream. I felt that was very good rage control from Megatron there, only threatening him this time. And then Starscream just basically goes back to being a slave master at this point. Gears making it known that he, quote unquote, loves being a slave. Or do I? And at that point, starts looking back at the central point of the device where his chip that was taken out of him is located. Back with the Autobots. Today, Andy, in Bumblebee nearly falls into a ravine. The Autobots are driving over, basically driving over ground. They have to cross a few bits where there's just open ground. All of them get over, but when Bumblebee goes, just before he touches ground... The ground gives way in front of him, and he nearly falls back before Wheeljack rescues him. 
Yep, it's it's, it's happening again. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm at the point of just feeling sorry for Bumblebee because he just, you know, maybe he is just incredibly unlucky when it comes to these things. Because you know, while some of them it feels like are his fault, moments like this are just like, hey, yeah, maybe you're just unfortunate because you know, you could not have foreseen that one. But yeah, like, well, like again, a, a week, a weekly occurrence on this podcast, Bumblebee falls into or almost falls into something. <laughs> At the needle, the Autobots arrive and try to attack the device. But as we kind of saw what happened earlier with Starscream, the blasts are bounced back straight at them because an energy shield has been generated around the area. Prime determines that the only likely weakness is where is the point of where the energy ray from the sun is coming down into the center of the device. So he suggests causing a break in that section to lower the shield. But everyone quickly realizes this is a fatal proposition. Even Ironhide tries to volunteer, basically saying, I'm more expendable than you are, Prime. But Cliff Jumper does his thing, Andy. He becomes Gun Jumper once again, drives off of a cliff straight into the path of this energy ray, and for all intent and purpose, is just offed, as far as we're concerned. Just goes flying, no more, gone. The Autobots realize what's happened, and then quickly just go, ATTACK! And not actually worry about what's happened to Cliff Jumper. So that's how important he is to the Autobots, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, again, they're probably just so used to it by now that it's just like, ah, <laughs> eh, whatever. And I mean, you know, at least he's living up to his namesake. You know, he did jump off a cliff as well. You so, you know, he's doing doing exactly what he was programmed to do, I guess. When it comes to Cliff Jumper, he does come around, but quite frankly, he's just been shocked by a bajillion volts of solar energy. So quite rightly, he's a little bit confused about where the heck he is right now. Back inside this area, I'll call it the base for now, just for lack of a better word. The Gears is making a beeline to get his chip, but is cut off by one of the Seekers. But Bumblebee gives him an assist just by driving straight into Starscream's back. Prime urges Megatron to stop what he is doing because the sun is going to implode in a matter of astroseconds. I want to make note, Andy. We've now got two different time currencies happening here. I can't keep yeah. up. Yeah, there, there needs to be some kind of, you know, like you have different time zones on your your, your app or whatever. You know, you, you just kind of need, or, or some kind of converter, you know, again, we, we've said this before, like, you know, we need an astro seconds to actual human time conversion system here. <laughs> But, of course, Megatron in typical Megatron fashion says, do you really expect me to believe that's going to explode any minute? <laughs> it's like, Megatron, your track record is not good on this. <laughs> I feel if you are going to believe anyone, for once it should be Optimus Prime or Starscream. Take your pick. At which point, Andy, Megatron just picks up Prime like in an overhead body slam position and just throws him towards one of the energy beams as we cut to a commercial. I don't know why. That just made me laugh so much. Like, yeah. Well, he, sorry, go on. It, it's, one of, it's one of those sort of weird moments where, you know, you, you get so many sort of like Optimus Prime Megatron battles where, you know, they're, they're so closely matched in terms of power and, you know firepower and all of that stuff and then suddenly you get another episode where I don't know maybe maybe Optimus Prime was just caught off guard but you suddenly go from this sort of you know closely closely contested combat to just Megatron just yeah like picking Optimus Prime up and just chucking him and it's just like I don't know how we got to this point <laughs> so Gears at this point when we come back from the ad break just basically blasts one of the side of the pylons which then the resulting energy 
dissipates, basically. It was around there, and Prime just goes through that bit of the shield unharmed. Megatron is not happy with Gears, and probably just shoots him through the heart. <laughs> it's like... I think we now know where the proper Autobot weakness is, Andy, given the amount of times that, that Jetfire, Skyfire, sorry, whichever one it is, I forget, um, him, he has been shot through the heart, but now Gears has had it happen to him. I think we now know the prime, no pun intended, weakness of the Autobots. Yeah, yeah. This is this is maybe like the lesson that Megatron learns here for like Transformers the movie where he just lays waste to a bunch of people like, oh, that's where I should be shooting them. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess now I know. Though I will add, Andy... Gears is fine two seconds later. <laughs> so, sure is. nullifying all of what I just said. In a pretty cool moment that I really liked, we kind of then have a Mexican standoff moment between the Autobots and Decepticons, with Gears' body just lying in the middle. Like, it's just not there. It's quite an amusing moment. Megatron still does not believe a word that Prime says, and he orders Gears to fix the broken pylon. This is when the Autobots realise something has really... Something really bad has happened to Gears. What the heck when it comes to his personality? Then Megatron orders the Decepticons to get ready to terminate Prime firing squad style. Prime says, can a con can a con I put condensed mechanism? I think I meant to put condemned, but a condensed mechanism does sound far funnier. <laughs> can a condemned mechanism have one last request? And Megatron's response is just, yes, but be quick about it. <laughs> great moment he asks gears to do him a favor gears goes okay and shoots the center console of the, of the solar needle causing explosions and to shut it down a bit we then get some proper great one-on-one -on -one action between various autobots and decepticons some really really cool animation at this point in the process gears actually getting some revenge on starscream at this point, the, Decept the Decepticons retreat, but the device is still active. Ratchet and Wheeljack promptly start trying to work on it, and ultimately are having a bit of an argument as to which, which wire do we need to break, like it's a bomb disposal thing. I would also note, as they were running towards the center console, I don't know if you noticed this, Andy, but Ratchet kicked a giant boulder, like a football, and just kicked one of the pylons <laughs> out the way from crushing Wheeljack. Yeah, I mean, there's some cl classy, classy stuff. <laughs> the two of them can't figure out which one to which wire to pull so prime just gets in there and just goes hope it's this one yank <laughs> because you know leadership. science everybody science yeah. and leadership yeah le leadership once again just like ah 50 50 i'll be fine and of course it is the right one we then get some fun banter with with the autobot crew saying that they kind of like the new gears do we have to put the chip back inside of him he was always so whiny but ultimately, the chip is returned to him, and Grouchy Gears is back. Gears then blows up the device, kind of proper Looney Tunes Acme TNT detonation box style, <laughs> and then starts complaining about the vibrations of the explosion, like wrecking some of him inside, at which point all the Autobots just drive off and leave him. <laughs> just, just That's right, you've just saved your comrade, now you just leave him because you're not happy with your decision to make him grouchy again. Yeah. And that concludes the episode, Andy. I, I appreciate I just kind of rattled through a lot of what happened there. So I'll give you a chance to talk now. Highlights, thoughts on the episode in general? Yeah, I... As mentioned, like, I really like the, the machine and the general premise of what the Decepticons are doing in this one. I'm just like, for, for all the stuff that I kind of like, you know, the cliché that I enjoy in these sort of things, the whole, like, personality change thing, 
I don't know, it always, I just feel like wears thin really quickly, so I kind of wasn't so much into that, and, you know, just having, you know, given that this is sort of like Gears' spotlight episode, the fact that he spends most of it sort of being a slave in some shape or form sort of feels like it does him dirty a little bit. It's like, ah, can we not have like a bit more, you know, kind of just Gears being himself? Why does his episode have to be him, you know, not not being grouchy? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, it's it, it's fine. Like it has, it has some, some decent moments. Like Starscream, if I recall, gets bopped a whole lot by people in this one. Um, and you know, so he, he's continuing to have a bad time, but yeah, this is very much on the kind of like, it was okay kind of episodes, but the central premise, like I say, was just for some reason, this is the moment too far in terms of like, no, none of this makes sense. <laughs> well, let's see what we think of the next episode as we go to episode eight, a prime problem. The episode begins with Megatron, Starscream, and Soundwave at the location of an energy source they have detected. But 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 Megatron stops Starscream from going in to try and get some of the energy because it might be dangerously unstable, establishing Megatron is in health and safety mode in this episode. Soundwave then sends out an auto scout, which is kind of a cassette deck that turns into like a mini motorbike. Andy, do you ever recall seeing this before? Because I sure as heck did not. No, no, I, I'm not sure it's going to turn up again. This seems like another convenient, like, ah, we need a thing to do a thing. So <laughs> technology, and suddenly it's, it's there. So it turns out that the energy emanating is from crystalline structures, and Megatron realises they are corlonium crystals, the rarest form of energy, but it's very unstable and fatal to anything electronic. Now, Starscream doesn't actually know what this is, even though he's a scientist. So Megatron says, it's such ignorance that relegates you to the role of underling Starscream. (laughs) Again, just some cracking dialogue in this show, mate. It's so good. Yeah, harsh harsh but fair on on that occasion. Expecting the arrival of them soon, Megatron has a plan for the Autobots, which he will be watching unfold in his temporary base... Which turns out, Andy, is the giant rocket that they arrived in on Earth that was under the ocean and is now just kind of covered it up in like rocks and stuff. Very, very random, but I liked it. Yeah, yeah, I guess like they must have found somebody to like dredge it out of the sea and be like, we need to use that again. Can we just like move it? Can we get some removal people in to just put this somewhere else? The ship's called, is it the Nemesis? I think. That. Definitely sounds like what a Decepticon would name a ship, so I'm happy to go with that. <laughs> did that uh, random tangent? Did they ever actually like sell that ship as a toy, or was that just very much a? No, did, did this exists, think... but not in physical form. Yeah, I mean, again, this is one of those weird because like the Transformers were mostly just you know just cobbled together other toy lines. Like the actual ships that they were in were just yeah they were just there. Like you know they they weren't weren't ever really released as toys i'm not sure whether anyone's ever gone back and created them i suspect they probably have because it seems like there's a a toy for everything in transformers now but so yeah because like the arc likewise is just you know it's just a spaceship the autobots arrive at this location and are in awe of what they see the reason i mentioned that which i actually haven't mentioned andy is that there was a really cool kind of lighting effect going on with sort of various colours flashing by on screen to, to signify the kind of energy that's being produced. And it was actually a really cool visual thing to see in this episode, just in general. 
Yeah, yeah, the, there's some really cool stuff around the whole, like, you know, the, these crystalline structures and what have you. Like, it's all really well kind of put across. It's, it's another one of those moments where it's like, oh, this is a really good example of the stuff you can do with, like, cell animation, where you can do really interesting lighting effects and kind of, you know, overlays, overlay extra cells over, over stuff, like, do interesting stuff with your photography to have these really sort of intriguing visual effects and this is definitely another one where i was just like oh this is actually like really good um so yeah is it that that was some cool stuff there now although the autobots are kind of like let's go and check this thing out prime is worried of the potential danger when at that very moment the decepticons led by starscream interrupt them with starscream andy i think having my favorite line possibly of these set of episodes quote unquote all the danger you can have is already here, Floptimus Prime. It's amazing. Like, that that <laughs> might be the best line we've had in this entire show so far. Like, <laughs> Floptimus Prime is just peak. Like I, it, that's that's going to take some beating. At some point, we might have to do like a, a top ten like Transformers insults, and that's going to be high up there. Floptimus. We're going to do a tier list. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, like Floptimus Prime, Blundercracker. I'm 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 very much into all of those. So. <laughs> a fight ensues with the Seeker Jets all targeting Optimus Prime. Sorry, Floptimus Prime. Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, though he makes short work of them, he makes short work of them. Laserbeak then shoots Prime, causing him to fall into a ravine. If you had, if you had an Autobot falling into a ravine on your bingo card, please check this now. Yeah, I mean, plus, plus like La Laserbeak almost killing Optimus Prime, like that's becoming a recurring thing. Like in terms of really, we talked <laughs> about Mirage as Autobot MVP. Like Laserbeak is pretty high up there for the Decepticons. Like in terms of work rate and you know, ne nearly caused the death of Optimus Prime. Like, you know, he's got a couple of notches on his belt now. I 100% agree. Laserbeak, if anything, is the Decepticon MVP. It should be said. Yeah, yeah. like, def definitely does the most work, I feel like, compared to everyone else. Now, when Prime falls into this ravine, essentially he is knocked out. But Laserbeak's primary role in this endeavour, aside from taking out Prime for a few moments, is actually to get some holographic scans of Prime. And in the in the the base that Megatron is holed up in, he successfully clones Optimus Prime. But crucially, he's going to be controlling the clone via a giant headset, like you would see from kind of like an eighty sci-fi movie. Very very cool stuff. And speech and all that should be said as well. He will be emanating the speech that Optimus Prime says. So now, I'm good for the purposes of discussion, Andy. I'm going to call it fake Prime. So we've got an easy distinction between the two, because otherwise this is going to get very confusing. Fake Prime is sent out, and basically the battle is done. He says, Autobots, let's go back, and they all roll back to base. At this point, Floptimus Prime, I can't do that, uh, Real Prime appears from the ravine and is just really confused. He's like, where is everyone? We then cut back to Autobot base, where Fake Prime is raising suspicion that something is up with him, because he's getting names of people wrong, he can't work Teletran properly, when suddenly, Teletran picks up something on the scanners outside the base. The screen goes on, it's Optimus Prime! <gasps> Fake Prime says it's clearly a Decepticon, and orders everyone to let this person in, and then they'll shoot him when he's in range. And that's when we cut to an ad break at that point. 
just to talk about the episode up to there, Andy, and I suppose just this kind of might echo my thoughts in general, really, really, really liking this story because it's such a good plan. But the way the writers came up with the, the idea that Megatron is controlling not only the movement of the clone, but also the speech, just really, really fun storytelling there. And it works really well. Yeah, it's another kind of classic cartoon thing of, you know, the sort of, like, you know, you dress up as your your nemesis and, like, pretend to be them kind of thing. Um, and it's it's always it's always good fun. Um, it's kind of weird how this episode is like, oh, we, we, need to, we need all these pictures of Optimus Prime to build a clone of him. It's like, you literally did that in season one. Like, you know, you had, like, a, a, a scale, completely perfect model of Optimus Prime. So much so that Starscream, like, you know saw himself because he was scared by it. So, like, you already had all that data. I'm not sure why you needed, like, Laserbeak to take photos. Also, why not use Reflector to do that? Surely he's more accurate, but anyway. Um, maybe, 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 his a- maybe his agent said, not this episode. No, no. Yeah, he's like, I've, I've run out of film. Like, you know, Boots is closed. I can't get it processed. Get Laserbeak <laughs> to do it. It's fine. I was just um, thinking, the, um, the other clone you were talking about, that was during the Ultimate Doom, wasn't it? When, like, Spark Plug just threw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I get that they needed a V2 for that because he was clearly, as mentioned at the time, made of polystyrene, but it's like, you've clearly got all the data to make an accurate Optimus Prime. Not sure why you needed this elaborate plan, but whatever. The other thing that I really, really love about this episode is how Megatron has has got this meticulous plan, but he doesn't know the Autobot's name. <laughs> yes! It's like, surely if there's one thing he would have... An, either known already having been at war with them for millions of years or researched is like I should probably figure out their names who's who like you know what their role is but instead you know he kind of comes in he's like hello Mr. Red Robot Man my friends you are my friends whatever your name is and he's like I'm Ironhide we've like worked together for four million years like what's wrong with you and he's like I just forgot your name like, oh you know just- I hit my head in the ravine <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you know, acting lessons, clearly not Megatron's strong suit, but it's just the fact he's just so ill-prepared for integrating himself into the Autobots that he hasn't even bothered to, like, learn who's who or how anything works, you know, he's just like, he's just there at the office microwave, is just like, I don't get this, how does this work? And it's like... <laughs> It's been there for years, man. Like, what's going on? <laughs> there was so also the like, line. You know, there was also the line. I think he said, "Oh, you know, um, I can't remember which transformer it was. I'll just say, I'll just for, for argument's sake, I'll just say Ratchet. Uh, like, oh, Ratchet. Um, why isn't Teletran working? When's the last time it was serviced? And they respond with, "You did it this morning, Prime. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. It's just, it's, it's all great stuff. It's sort of." There's part of me that's a little bit disappointed because it, it would feel way... It, there'd be way more, like, tension to it if he was getting away with it for a while and everyone had bought in, like, oh, my God, like, Optimus... This is just Optimus Prime. And then, like, the fakes that arrive. This is this is another one of those cases where you feel like there's just not enough episode time for them to really play with that idea. Mm. Because if this was, like, a two-parter, say, you'd probably have, like, a whole bunch of, like, this episode would be Megatron as Optimus Prime leading the Autobots and just, like, pretending, you know, that, oh, yeah, like, go and attack the Decepticons. You know, maybe take out Starscream and be like, ha, that was great. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fun stuff that you could do with that, but it doesn't really have time, so it has to go straight to, like, you know the Spider-Men pointing at each other meme, but with Optimus Prime uh, for the rest of the episode. (laughs) 
So, when the when the real Prime walks inside the base, we're about to get a firefight, but Cooler Heads prevail with Ironhide specifically, saying that we need to ascertain some more details here to figure out what is going on. And this is decided, Andy, by doing some practical tests. The first one is a shooting match, which does not end well for... I want to say it was real Prime. I actually genuinely couldn't figure out which one it was, to be honest. So that, that's how yeah. good it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, th this is preempting things somewhat. I don't understand why all of these tests are so dumb. Like, surely you just, <laughs> surely you just ask them both, like, what's your mother's maiden name? What's your social security number? Like, what's, what's the last four digits of your credit card? Like, when's you when's say, my birthday, Prime? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Obviously, what's my name? I mean, it's all we needed to ask is like name these, name these three transformers, and then Megatron's be like, oh, police car man, ambulance dude, and red guy who's a bit grumpy. Uh, did I get it right? But no. Instead, we have a shooting match. It's like we know, like you know, the Decepticons pretty good at shooting as well. Like I don't. All of these tests, I was like. What is this going to prove? I don't get it. This is not going to like help solve this problem at all. But sure, go go have at it. It's kind more of to fun. the point. A shooting match and a drag race. <laughs> a drag race, yeah. It's like I don't, I really don't understand at all. But okay. And then when they get back in Spike, even Spike, even Spike is going, man. Those tests prove nothing. It's like no, <laughs> no, no beep, Sherlock. You know. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's it's fantastic. Like it is kind of like the peak of just like dumb cartoon writing of just like you can't you can't have a test where it would obviously figure it out straight away. So th they were probably actually having like having a bit of a panic over this in the writers' room of like, well, we can't just have a test that's really obviously going to show who's who, especially now Megatron's proven he knows nothing about the Autobots. <laughs> so we've got to we've got to somehow contrive to find tests where there'll be a close match so we still don't know which one's the real Optimus Prime and this what how about a drag race like sure all right that that probably works. <laughs> At the Corlonium Crystal site, Teletran can pick up that there are some unusual readings from there. This leads to the Autobots deciding to go back to the site but, of course, we've got two primes. So Ironhide, in a moment that I thought was really cool, Andy, basically goes, I'm taking command while we figure out what the heck is up with you two. Just a really cool moment. And actually also gave Ironhide some, some, just some authority back after, like, the whole stuff that happened in the Immobilizer episode. This was kind of almost like a little redemption moment for him. Yeah, it's also a thing. I mean, again, kind of talking about, you know, the actual sort of character buyers of these guys. It's like Ironhide is basically like Optimus Prime's right-hand man. So it's like, it's what he should be doing in that situation. Um, but it's kind of nice that it, it, it runs with that and actually keeps that kind of continuity rather than just kind of putting a random Autobot in charge just because they want to flog a few more toys. So Megatron surmises that in order to gain the complete trust of the Autobots, his Prime, fake Prime, needs to destroy a Decepticon, which Starscream agrees with. Even going as so far to saying it should be someone important in the ranks of the Decepticons. And Megatron agreeing with him while openly laughing at the same time. Because we all knew where this was going and it was great. Megatron says, it should be you Starscream. To which Starscream in, uh, as only Starscream can, which I cannot imitate. I, Starscream, the pride of the Cybertron War Academy. 
never! Do you hear me? Never! And then promptly leaves. And then, and then Megatron basically goes, oh, Soundwave, send out Laserbeak to go get him. <laughs> just so good. Yeah, and it's not its not even just that he leaves. He just kind of flounces off as well. Like, the way that is kind of animated, <laughs> that whole scene plays out, is really fantastic peak Starscream. Because it's not like, you know, he really just kind of stomps off in a huff in a way that's really kind of great. <laughs> However, Windcharger and Spike are climbing up the mountain area where the Decepticon base is hidden. And they see Starscream and Laserbeak leave. Laserbeak ultimately gets the better of Starscream and quite unceremoniously just picks him up by his ass, pretty much. And the door is open long enough when they return for Spike and Windcharger to sneak inside. And that's when they overhear Megatron telling Starscream, Look, I was gonna clone you. Wasn't actually gonna off you, but your clone. So that Prime would be so that fake Prime would destroy fake Starscream. The cloning process begins, and at this point, Spike and Windcharger also see that happen as well. But once that's done, they try to make a run for it, but Laserbeak very quickly cottons onto what's happened and chases them. He catches Spike, sorry, Laserbeak catches Spike, excuse me, but Windcharger narrowly gets through the gap in the door, because this is at the point where fake Starscream has flown out, and starts falling into the ravine where all the crystals are. If on your Autobot bingo card, you had fallen to a ravine of crystals, you may check that now. <laughs> Just to focus on this for a little bit more, Andy, I this whole idea of the cloning aspect, it's such a simple concept, but I'm just really, really happy they didn't just leave it at one clone, and they really explored this idea of having another clone get destroyed. It makes complete sense, and actually makes the Decepticons look really freaking smart for once. Yeah, although I would argue it would also have been smart just to, like, destroy actual Starscream and be like, there you go, <laughs> I'm Optimus Prime. And also I just, like, killed the, the, the thorn in my side in every single episode. Um, so that would have worked as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's nice that there's that extra layer to the plan. Because it's one of those moments that also really works well for, from an audience perspective. Because you totally buy into the fact that, like, oh yeah, he's just got a good opportunity to off Starscream here he's gonna do it so it's actually like an extra layer of it of deception to the audience of just like oh oh he wasn't actually well I guess that's kind of nice um, but you know it's sort of it, 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 it's interesting because it kind of like toys with your expectations of that moment of like oh I know what Megatron's doing and it's like eh, kind of but not not entirely so, once we're back from the ad break, we go back inside the Decepticon base, where Spike has led- Spike has been led, excuse me, to Megatron by Soundwave, who begins foreshadowing what Spike is about to see happen to his friends in- and I had to note this verbatim, Andy- The Crevice of Light! That being where the, the Colonium Crystals are. I laughed so hard at that line. Though Spike is very defiant in believing in the Autobots. Outside, the battle rages on, and we get the scenario where Jazz and Fake Starscream are facing off one-on-one, -on -one, but Fake Prime appears behind Jazz, tells him to hit the deck because he wants a clear shot, and after some discussion between the two, that being Megatron and Starscream because they both got a headset and the microphone on so they can talk, they're kind of almost like trying to plot out what they're going to do in a scene, which makes me wonder, did Jazz hear all this? 
I'm going to assume not and not break a potential random fourth wall there. But eventually, fake Starscream is killed by Prime. The fake Prime, excuse me. This comes because Starscream issues a challenge to fake Optimus Prime, saying, whoever loses, they must leave the area immediately and forever. Andy, this sounds very familiar. This almost yeah, feels like I'm re-watching Heavy Metal War. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not long ago that this last happened, but uh, hey, like it almost worked that time, so why not go again, I guess. <laughs> now, this fight, I want to say, uh, between Fake Prime and Fake Starscream, I don't know what you thought, mate, but there was some great animation between these two in this fight. Like, proper top-notch stuff. It just looked really, really cool. Ultimately, like I say, with Fake Prime downing and literally destroying Fake Starscream. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, I feel like this episode as a whole actually is, is another one that it feels pretty well animated for the most part, and yeah, it felt like there was a bit of, bit of care and love put into, to those scenes in particular, so yeah, th th this is definitely another one that's on the top end of, like, the visual stuff between those effects we talked about earlier, and stuff like this, it, it felt like it had, uh, it had some real care and attention to it. With this action now complete, the Autobots firmly believe that Fake Prime is the real one, and begin following him towards the crevice of light. But the real Prime is trying to convince them otherwise, but is not getting through to the Autobots. They full well know that the Fake Prime is the real one. Suddenly, Windcharger appears from the crevice of light. What? Shouldn't he have been destroyed? It turns out, that he transformed before he landed. And remember that old thing, Andy, in a previous episode? I want to say it was the final episode of season one, the Plague of Insecticons, mm -hmm. where they transformed to be like the rubber that would be the insulation so they wouldn't get electrocuted. It was that that saved Windcharger. And so because of that, his electronic parts were not destroyed. He also tells them they're being led into a trap because he saw the cloning thing happen. And the, the subject is also raised of, we've got to go and help Spike. But in Fake Prime, aka Megatron's big faux pas here, Andy, this was the ultimate faux pas, he makes it clear that Spike doesn't matter and is not a priority. At which point, everyone pretty much goes, hey, he's not unimportant. You're not real. He's the real <laughs> Prime. You're the fake one. <laughs> And then they proceed, basically the jig is up, they end up shooting him into the ravine of the crevice of light. And the Decepticons base at this point is a rocket once again, it takes off, they retreat. But in the process, Andy, I mentioned Spike, he just gets thrown out the ship, <laughs> like a million, <laughs> just, just, he's just falling to his certain doom. And then out of nowhere, Power Glide appears, first time we've seen him all episode, and he catches him before he crash lands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you have to wonder what Power Glide was doing in throughout all of these events, and because it was clearly aware of them enough to come and save Spike, but was otherwise uh, otherwise engaged. So, uh, but again, like Me Megatron's ability to. I mean, his acting ability continues to be very subpar. Because, again, how many times have we seen him, like, use human shields and be like, well, I know you will always protect, you know, the, the flesh creatures over anything else and use that to his advantage. So surely in that moment he would have been like, oh, yeah, I guess we should save Spike. But no, can't can't do it. Can't keep it up. Yeah, you'd have thought he would have just kept Spike as prisoner. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just be like, yes, let's rescue the the human person thing, whatever he's called. Um, but no, it's just like, ah, eh, no, it's fine. And then, yeah, well, you know, another another otherwise good plan ruined by uh, by such uh, such trivial uh, trivial trifles. <laughs> and then the episode concludes with everyone happy that they've got the real Prime back, even though they had him there the whole time. Andy, this was quite the episode. I really enjoyed this. Got a kick out of it. Lots of cool concepts, like I mentioned. Some fun moments. Some great animation at points as well. This, a really, really strong episode. Yeah, like, animation-wise, it's certainly really good. This is definitely on the kind of, like, this is dumb but fun side of things, like, because there are so many plot points that you're just, like, holding up your hands of just like what? what what why are you doing these things this doesn't make it especially on the autobot side but also just like megatron's complete inability to like pull off the plan that he's so carefully like conceived of um all of that stuff is dumb but it's just kind of like really entertaining to just watch it play out uh, and again this is an episode that has a good sort of cadence to it it has a beginning a middle and an end it doesn't feel overly rushed at the end it's kind of you know it's done enough with its conceit that you don't feel like you're being shortchanged. and so yeah i had a, i had quite a good time with this one um, you know, it, it's no, it's, it's not the kind of like serious fare of like, you know, a lot of the season one stories, but as season two stuff goes, like, yeah, had a, had a good time with it. So that concludes these four episodes for today, everybody. But next time on Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, Andy, we'll be talking about episodes nine through 12, which have the following titles. Atlantis Arise. I get the feeling we might be underwater for that one. Episode 10, Attack of the Autobots. Episode 11, Microbots. And episode 12, The Master Builders. I honestly can't... I mean, I've got an idea what episode 9 might be about (laughs) from the title. But the other three... I honestly couldn't tell you, based on the titles, what the heck we might be in for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, Attack of the Autobots is, like, the most sort of generic episode title ever. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that that one definitely a mystery. But, yeah, I, I feel like I might have seen Atlantis Arise just to, like, watch it out of curiosity. Because, you know, as the, the title basically suggests where you're going with that one. Uh, but I don't think I've seen any of the others previously. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to to watch and uh, see what uh, transpires. So there we go, everybody. Another episode completed, as it were. Another four episodes, I should say, completed on this podcast. Uh, Andy, before we close out good and proper, any additional thoughts you want to convey or any additional notes you may have had? Uh, no, no, I think uh, I think that's the, that's the lot. Let's just... Put in the, in the annals of history, that Floptimus Prime is is what the Autobot leader is now known as. So that's <laughs> that's all that matters. So a quick programming note for everybody before we we conclude. By the time you're hearing this, if all has gone well in how we are trying to record these, we are about a week away before the Christmas break. We still intend to be releasing a couple episodes over the Christmas break, that being on the 24th and the 30th of December, respectively, if memory serves off the top of my head. So you can still expect some more banter from us when it comes to Transformers episodes. And then Andy will be back in the new year, good and strong, ready to continue this, this train. 
Yeah, indeed we will. Yeah, we'll have to do some some acting of our own to pretend it's like Christmas for the next one, I guess. I'll, I'll bring I'll, I'll, I'll bring my Santa hat. <laughs> is that a promise? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll bring I'll bring my Santa hat, which is going to be rubbish if you're watching the audio if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast because you're not going to get to see it. But hey, <laughs> that's why we have a YouTube channel. There you go. And folks, if you want to contact us, as mentioned, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod. And as Andy mentioned, if you are listening to the audio version, you can watch every single episode of the podcast in video form on our YouTube channel. Search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast on YouTube and you should be able to find the channel accordingly. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do so using the email address StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. With that being said, from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon, everyone. Bye, everyone.